back to the Matt Mosley Show on ESPN Central Texas. This is Matt Mosley, Matt Mosley Show. And we're joined now by Mike Craven, Dave, uh, Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. And uh, Mike, big announcement at noon today, and it was uh, the cover of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Congrats, by the way, getting to uh, write the cover story for this. And I assume you were maybe at the cover shoot and all of that. Uh, but um, the winner is this year, Sonny Dykes, which seems very appropriate. Uh, Mike, did, I'm surprised that uh, Matt Stepp didn't try to, like, scoop you guys on this big announcement today. Uh, he, he has an NDA sign, so he wasn't able, wasn't able to do that. But, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a fun process to go through. It feels like this year it was a, a relatively easy decision on the college side uh, with what TCU was able to accomplish, making it to a national championship game. His father being on the cover, uh, him being so ingrained and kind of as a Texan, you know, grew up around the state, was at Texas Tech. Um, you know, kind of was found by Hal, Hal Mummy, coached there at Kentucky, then followed Mike Leach over to Lubbock. So, you know, a guy who's just been influenced by a lot of the people who have influenced football within the state of Texas. The first time we've had a father and son, you know, on a cover because Spike was on it in 1990. So it was cool um, getting to hang out with Sonny and write the story for sure. All right. And could y'all not get Sonny to smile? I mean, this seems almost like a bit of a, I don't know if you'd call it a smirk or just kind of a, I mean that is kind of Sonny's face on the sideline. He's not doesn't he's not always smiling over there. What uh, what was the uh, how did the tell tell us a little bit about the the photo shoot and uh, and and kind of how you narrowed it down to this photo. I mean I like it. I like the arms crossed and you know the and I'm wondering does Sonny get to pick like Hey Sonny is there a pullover you like or is that do, do you does the SID bring out several choices and your photographer you know, has a big say in that. How does that all come down? Yeah, I mean, he comes dressed the way he'd like to be on the cover. So that, that's just what he was wearing when he met out with us at TCU about a month and a half ago. And you know, I believe the photographers have some ideas. They talk with Greg Tepper, our managing editor, on some ideas. I know he wanted to kind of do a darker uh, format. Reginald Sample is the head coach of Duncanville is, is the secondary cover. So they try to, you know, kind of make those match a little bit. Uh, went with kind of the darker cover, but uh, honestly, I just kind of hang out. You know, I, I'm just the writer, and so uh, I hang out. I follow them around. I pick up any color I can. Sometimes they're a little bit more relaxed. They'll tell you a story you can use as an anecdote and things of that nature. So it, it's kind of a fun deal. Uh, the story was mostly written uh, by that day. But I, what I find interesting, if you go back and you look at the 1990 cover, you know, Spike's got a big smile. I mean, he's chuckling on on the cover of the story and. You know, Sonny and Spike are, are a lot different. You know, Sonny, Sonny was more, you know, with his mom growing up. He didn't see Spike all that much. He, he told me for the story that Spike probably saw four or five of his athletic games his whole career, and, and Sonny played baseball at Tech. So he played, you know, a lot of sports. And, and so they were different guys. I, I think Sonny leaned more towards Mike Leach in a lot of ways uh, than Spike Dyke. So I, I thought it was kind of cool that they had different facial expressions. It, it kind of illustrates the differences between those two. What is Spike? So you're saying he was smiling. I'm trying to think what I what I think of when I think back in my mind of Spike. Like if he had a ball cap on a lot, or was he a non-ball cap? Did you? I'm sure uh, you went back and looked at the old Spike Dykes uh, cover to see how yeah, that. Was, uh, yeah. 
he was mostly a ball cap guy, but in, in, a, in our photo, he's kind of leaning up against the window of his office with the, with the practice field with the stadium behind him. Um, and he's, he's smiling, he's chuckling, you know, and, and the story is a lot about how Spike is this jovial king of West Texas who knows everybody, who's at every single rotary, uh, rotary club uh, membership, knows all the Lions Club guys, right? He was just, you know, an on-the-road at golf courses, hanging out uh, with the people kind of dude. And you know, I think that's the interesting part about Sonny is he, he's kind of a mixture between Spike and Mike Leach. You know, Sonny was more about the relationships and the program and the culture and, and not so much the X's and O's, but, but what you do inside the program, the brotherhood that you build, that culture wins championships. Then Mike Leach and Hal Mummy, I, I feel it came from the opposite direction. Not that they didn't care about culture, but it was more about the system. It was more about X's and O's. It was more about the air raid and the analytical part. And when Sonny went to Cal, he tried to be Mike Leach. He tried to be Hal Mummy, and it, and it didn't work. And I, I think one of the lessons he learned was to kind of combine in what his father did to kind of be more of a friendly, jovial guy who you know let people in more, was more about the culture, more about pro, uh, program building. And those two systems combined, uh, worked out in his first year at TCU. All right, Mike Craven joining us, Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Now, how how much space do you get for something like this? Now, you know, I'm a longtime writer, so I think in, in you know, measurement of like inches for newspapers, which is generally a long story, would be somewhere in the neighborhood of about 40 inches. Did you get, uh, is this like a five, six, seven page type uh, type story we're talking about? Yeah, newspaper terms, it'd be about a 70 to 73-inch story, uh, 2,500 words. Um, and so, uh, it's you know, what's funny about, you know, I did this with the Jeff Trailer, uh, Joey McGuire cover last year. You know, when you sit down and you think, oh, man, 2,500 words, that's going to be a lot to write. Then you start doing it, and, you know, you're trying to tell everybody's life story in these magazines. And, and I've had the chance to do two of the covers now. And they were they were about guys who are, are all about Texas high school football. You know, like Jim, if you do one on Jimbo Fisher, he's not from here. It may not mean as much to him. You know, Sonny's dad was on the cover. Joey and Jeff were high school coaches. And so, you know, there's a lot of story to tell. And you start writing the story and you realize 2,500 words really isn't enough. You know, everybody's got a book worth of stuff about them. Um, and so it's trying to isolate the most interesting parts, try to find the best anecdotes. And you, only, you trim it down to 2,500, believe it or not. Yeah, uh, I used to have trouble trimming, but with newspapers, the editors just start cutting when they're on deadline, <laughs> right? And you don't really have much yeah. say. You've been in the newspaper business, so you know about that. Did you talk to him about the thought of, hey, are these? Is this a one-year, you know, one-hit wonder type deal? Lightning in a bottle. Everything worked out beautifully. They had all these comebacks. Did that, I mean, is there any thought as, as it's kind of like you make it a national title game and then, of course, you got to roll it back and go, okay, can we do this again? I think people are picking Texas to win the conference. You would think, hey, TCU, with what they just did, might even have more respect than ever. How did, did some of that angle uh, come up as you were kind of visiting with him? Uh, or was it more just about he and Spike's relationship? Yeah, I mean, for the cover story, it's more about his relationship with Spike, his, his relationship with the Air Raid and Mike Leach and Hal Mummy and how he kind of combined those two systems into one to, to make it work at, at SMU and then at TCU after the failures at Cal. You know, but I also do the team sections for each of the programs at, at the mm. FBS level. So I, I also wrote, you know, the TCU section and, you know, that stuff comes up for sure. And, you know, he's very honest about it. One of the things I like about Sonny is he, he's not somebody who's going to blow smoke up your butt. And so, 
you know, he knows he lost, you know, his best player, his most talented, or at least his most productive player at literally every single position group on his offense and defense. The, the idea that they're not going to take a, a step back would be asinine, right? Like they're not Georgia. They're not Ohio State. They're not Alabama. They don't recruit at the levels to just replace, you know, Quentin Johnston with another five-star guy and Max Duggan with another Heisman finals. That, that, that's fairy tale land stuff. But what TCU can do is take a minute, small step backwards uh, to prove that they're here to stay, that it's not just a, a one-year wonder. Now, if they go five and seven, six and six, seven and five, I think those questions are going to be asked, and, and they are going to be fair because he didn't put together that roster. But if they can go nine and three, maybe even eight and four, and those losses are pretty close, respectable losses, and they're in the Big 12 championship race come October or November, I think everybody will look around and go, hey, man, TCU's got something going on. You know, they, they backed up a really strong year with another really solid year. And so expectations can be tricky. Uh, you got to keep them in line somehow. And in college football, that's never going to happen. And when you go 12-0, and 0, you know, the, the problem becomes the ceiling is now the floor, right? Like what used to be a great year mm -hmm. at TCU may not feel like one of them. And I, I think Baylor fans kind of understand that after the Sugar Bowl run as well. And so you're just, you're trying to be realistic with it. Like Baylor wasn't going to replace, you know, Jalen Petrie, Terrell Bernard, JT Woods, RJ Snead, Tyquan Thor. They weren't going to replace those guys and be as good. Uh, you're just trying not to take as big of a step back. But I, I think, you know, year three, year four, uh, those are more telling seasons on what the staying power is uh, for TCU, uh, for sure, once they start getting their own players in there. Now, Mike, how many covers does TCU have all time now? Uh, I'm just thinking Gary had to be on the front at one point. I'm certain of it. I don't know. You would think the Texas Tornado, Kenneth Davis. Do you know off the top of your head the stats on that? Uh, the the Horn Frogs. Of course, I'm wondering how many Baylor's had as well. I bet Baylor certainly Taft was on it, and you'd have to think Singletary was on the cover back in the day. Uh, but um, but now, do we know you? Because since you've just been working on TCU, do you have a ballpark on how many TCU covers we've had? I believe it's four. The last one, 2012, with Gary Patterson. I would have to go uh, check on that one for sure. Okay. But I believe it before. Now that we're talking about it, I think a very good June or July story idea would be to count all the subjects on the covers and kind of make a graph and see kind of who's what team's been represented the most, maybe what team's been represented the least. Yeah, I would say probably University of Texas – is going to win out, although Mr. Campbell, you know, tried to fight for the other the other guys over the years, you know, and uh, uh, but um, yeah, I would say University of Texas with their dominance and the readership and all, you got to think about okay, what cover is going to make the most people read this? And I get that. Sure, you're gonna you're yeah. gonna end up with the big boys some of the, some of the times and the Aggies, and you know, bringing back a few years ago, it was like, is this the new wrecking crew? Now you can only say that how many how many times have we said that over the years, Mike? Is this over oh, the Aggies? Do they have their wrecking crew again? Uh, but that was that was a, a few years ago. By the way, who um, did you get to dig in on Baylor? Uh, and I'm just sort of curious what uh, Baylor seems to be a real X factor going into this season with some really fine skill players. I mean, they're they're a, I think they're a lot better at skill players than they were last year, but some unknowns on the lines, the offensive and defensive lines, and then, of course, Blake Shapin being named the starting quarterback. What, what was your overall thought after maybe talking to a few folks uh, from the Bears? 
Yeah, when I when I sat down with with Coach Aranda, he was very honest about kind of his failures last season. You know, he he was hesitant to go into the transfer portal because he didn't want that to be a betrayal of the guys who had been there. That kind of bled for him and sweat for him, uh, cried for him and stuff. And he, you know, he's a guy. He, he talked about building bridges between like love and truth, and that he comes from the love side and he wants things to be this the way that they should be, and sometimes they're just the way that they are. And so. You know, he looked at last year and he thought that the team lacked senior leadership, that it lacked kind of an upperclassman you know, led team like the one he had in 2021. And so he pivoted uh, credit to him and went to the transfer portal. And, and like you mentioned, you know, he got better at a lot of different positions at wide receiver, at running back, offensive line, even tied in. Then defensively, I think they did some stuff, too. Now, my thing with Baylor, and I've had this conversation on a few podcasts now. You know, my, my favorite, my, my part with Baylor isn't the Blake Shapin thing. It's not the offensive stuff. I know it's not apples to apples, but Baylor averaged more points per game last year than they did in 2021. They weren't crushing people. You go back and you look at the last six or seven wins of that 2021 team, they weren't winning 42 to 35 or anything like that. They were, they were winning with low scoring points. What happened last year to me was the defense. You know, they didn't give up more than 30 points one time last year, and that was the loss uh, to TCU back in 2021. Uh, and then last year they did it, I think, six times, you know. And, and so when you're in a bunch of small, close margin games where you're not going to score 40 points, where it's going to be 27 to 24, uh, and there's not much margin for error, you have to play really good defense. And Baylor did not play really good defense last year. So, you know, we can have the quarterback conversation and all that kind of stuff. But to me, what I'm interested in is, does Baylor get better against the run? Do they create more turnovers? Do they get better as a scoring defense? because that's how they're going to get back to 9-10 wins and compete for Big 12 titles. I like that. And the young man from Liberty, that Mike Smith, who I'm sure they talked yeah. about. I mean, he's uh, he stepped in there. These portal guys are different than some of the portal guys from the past. They're not just complementary pieces. I mean, these may need to be, and they might actually be, some of the best players on the team that are going to step in immediately. You know, and TCU had some – I mean, that's that's one of the things back to Sonny Dykes that he's done the portal well. At SMU, it was probably heavier portal. But, I mean, think about some of the stuff TCU did. I mean, who was that? Somebody from the Naval Academy that came in and it's kind of like wasn't even really no one was going after him, ends up starting for the Frogs and, and playing a big role in things. Like, it, it just the portal has just changed life as we know it. And uh, I think Baylor got religion. Um, and decided, hey, we might need to do a little more portaling. And by the way, that's happening with Scott Drew. I know we're talking football today, but uh, the, the Bears, uh, it was you know, it was taken away from them in the portal, and now they're having to get more aggressive in the portal. So we're we're seeing it at, at, at you know different uh, football and basketball. I mean, this is all about evolution, right? I mean, coaches at every single sport and even in business and my life and your life, I mean, we all have to adapt. Like things that are true today weren't true last year. And it doesn't matter if you like them or you don't like them. You have to go win. This is a business. You know, Dave Aranda getting paid a lot of money and six and seven is not going to do it. Like this is not going to cut it. The, the expectations have been raised in Waco and they should be, you know, with the money and the facilities and the, and the Big 12 opening up without Texas and Oklahoma and the playoff expanding. I think everybody sees what TCU did last year and, and frankly, what Baylor did in 2021 and goes, look, we can play with the big boys. We can get on that stages now. College football, you know, the, the country club is becoming public in a way. And so you know, I think if you're a Baylor fan, you have to have those expectations and it's felt within that room. And to Aranda's credit, he found a fault of his that he didn't do a good enough job as, as a coach and he's going about fixing it. 
I think in this industry, you run into a lot of coaches that just kind of do it their way or the highway, and they, they may go down with the ship. I think one of the cool things about Aranda, you know, sometimes good, sometimes bad, he's very self-reflective. He's going to look at himself and see what he can do better. I'm interested to see uh, what those transfers do, because to your point, you know, during spring, they were getting talked about as some of the program's best players, and not only best players, even. So it'll be interesting to see what lessons we learn from that. All right, come see us in Waco, Mike. Eight home games. Yeah, I mean, you'll have plenty of opportunities. And uh, and good work on your story about the lack of diversity in some of these, uh, you, know, you know, these Texas programs, uh, the 13 schools that are, have Division One programs. I found it very, very interesting. Well done. And uh, it was just kind of, you know, surprising to see the lack of representation. I think Houston and Rice, the only uh, black coordinators – um, in, in of those 13 schools, as you talked about and, and, and you wrote about. So I do want to – I hate that we're running out of time here, but I did want to tell you I read that and, uh, and and a really good job. In fact, Aranda, the only um, diversity hire, uh, the only minority head coach. Is that right? Currently there were three, Charlie Strong, Frank Wilson, Sumlin at one point, um, uh, and, and now it's only Dave Aranda. Is that correct? Yep. Aranda is the only minority head coach in the state. Only four of the 26 coordinators in the state minorities, as you mentioned, only two of them black. And there is not a single black quarterback coach, offensive line coach uh, in the state. And from our research, those are the ways you become a head coach, right? You coach those position groups, you become an offensive coordinator, then you become a head coach. I think nine out of the 13 uh, coaches in the state went that route. Uh, and there's just not um, all the black coaches or running back coaches or wide receiver coaches or defensive line coaches. And so, you know, I, I think the diversity is getting better. And there, there's some coaches in there that are quoted to talk about how, you know, it's a lot better than when they joined as a coach in the eighties or nineties, but they're still not getting into those spots uh, that may elevate them. And it reminded me a, a lot of like what the black quarterback conversation was when I was growing up, how, you know, they kind of got moved away from the ball and maybe they could play wide receiver, but not necessarily quarterback. It kind of seems like that's true within the coaching ranks. And it's just something that, you know, I found interesting over my trip in April that I only talked to two, you know, black coaches my whole trip when I went to 13 different universities. Yeah, not on the offensive side of the ball, mostly unless yeah. it's wide receivers coach or running backs coaches. And uh, that's it's been that way, I think, for a long time. But I think it's worth pointing out and uh, and looking into. Mike, good to uh, good to visit with you. Congratulations on another cover story, and uh, we'll look forward to that. Now, tell folks when they can get their uh, copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. When does that? That's kind of the start of summer for a lot of us. When do those things hit the the newsstands and the grocery stores and all of that? Now, nowadays, you can subscribe at TexasFootball.com, and you'll get the uh, magazine a few weeks early in late late June. It's at the presses right now, being printed. Uh, in terms of just brick and mortar, find it in your HEB and that kind of stuff. It'll probably be July 4th-ish, around that weekend is when they'll start showing up uh, in newsstands. But uh, I would I would uh, suggest going to subscribe. Um, and you get the magazine, you get the recruiting magazine in the winter, all the stuff, all the digital stuff we do as well. All right, we'll do an audio portion, okay? We there, we should be able to get like a <laughs> – if we want to be driving down the road and read your story in your voice, uh, I would recommend that. But, uh, Mike, good to visit with you, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, sir. I appreciate the invite. You bet. There he goes. Uh, that is Mike Craven. And uh, Mike uh, is with Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. 
And today the announcement went out at noon that um, and they and they put the picture out there. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. I'll retweet it in case you guys follow me on Twitter. I'm at Matt Mosley. Are y'all still on Twitter? Did y'all get mad at Elon? Anybody still on Twitter? I, I bet you are. Um, I'll retweet it as we speak. But uh, Mike Craven wrote the uh, cover story on it, so good to visit with him. 